0: This podcast is brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hi, this is Patrick Simmons of the Doobie Brothers, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's podcast.
1: Founding member of the Doobie Brothers, and the only consistent member of the group, vocalist, guitarist, multi-instrumentalist and songwriter, Patrick Simmons, wrote the first number one record for the band, my favorite song, "Black Water." inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, with the the group, the Doobie Brothers in 2020. I am so excited to say welcome to the podcast, Patrick Simmons. Hey, thank you very much. Nice to be here. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Patrick, I wanted to go back. I'll I'll, I'll get uh, up to your current stuff and also your your tour, which is coming down under, which is fantastic. Uh, But I want to go back to the early years. Um, Where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in the Bay Area, San Jose, California, uh, which is, okay. um, oh gosh, well, they call it Silicon Valley now. It's uh, eh, 50 miles south of San Francisco, um, kind of used to be just kind of a little agriculture based uh, place out in uh, Santa Clara Valley.
1: Um, Yeah, you uh, turn right at Santa Cruz, don't you?
0: uh, Right near Santa Cruz. So it
1: was was a nice place. You know,
0: it's kind of close to everything, you know, close to San Francisco and close to the ocean. I did a lot of surfing when I was uh, younger and
1: just a a wonderful place to live. Right. And and where did you get your early interest in music?
0: Gosh, uh, I started playing guitar when I was about um, eight years old. I played a little bit of piano Uh, when I was about five years old. I started taking piano lessons and I just, you know, kind of always liked music. Um, You know, we had music at our house. Uh, My folks listened to, you know, music and I had two older sisters and they were really into, you know, uh, popular stuff of the day. And uh, we had a friend that used to come and visit and bring his record collection and leave it for us to to peruse. And really, I could cut my teeth on a lot of early 45s that uh, belong to a friend of the family. Um, so, you know, but I've always loved music, just kind of one of those I, un, indefinable, you know, attractions for me, you know, always drawn to it. And, uh, you know, I think the guitar, when I started playing the guitar, it really opened my world to, a lot of possibilities. And I played with friends and in bands and stuff growing up um, and uh, just kind of continued. I was lucky to live in the Bay Area, which was kind of a a great musical uh, community there, you know, close to San Francisco. Uh, So I was there for, you know, the Psychedelic Revolution and the Fillmore Auditorium and the Avalon Ballroom and all All that kind of stuff um Ashbury was happening. Hate Ashbury was happening. I used to go stay up there. I had friends in a a little apartment up there in Hate Ashbury, so I spent a lot of time in the city and uh but San Jose was just a you know great musical community as well. There were clubs all around and uh you know a lot of um you know roots music going on there uh rock and roll you know s- I was a surfer, so I loved surf music. You know, I was into the Beach Boys and the, the Ventures and you know the Wild Ones and all these, diff- you know, kind of surf bands and and stuff as well. So I I tried it all and and loved it all.
1: So you also got into the uh, poetry of Bob Dylan as well.
0: Love Bob Dylan, yeah. Who didn't? <laughs> you know, one of the greatest songwriters uh, ever of our era for, you know, of our generation for sure. But in general, you know, just one of the great songwriters of all time.
1: He inspired you to write uh, good words? For sure, you
0: know, uh, lots of others, but he was, uh, you know, somebody that uh, I I really got into uh, listening to his music. You know, I was kind of an old folk singer, uh, young folk singer, I shouldn't say I was an old, <laughs> I wasn't old yet. Now I'm an old folk singer, but, uh, you know, we, you know, I loved uh, acoustic music and traditional music and stuff. So uh, his, his songs were, you know, perfect for um, acoustic settings. And I I did a number of Dylan songs through the years, but, uh, you know, Dave Van Ronk, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, Tim Harden, uh, uh, Mark Spolstra, Dick and Mimi Fiorina, Joan Baez—I loved all that music, you know. So uh, I, I borrow a little bit from from all of them as well. Um, but you know, I I loved rock and roll. Um, I loved R and B, you know, all the Motown stuff, and
1: you know, James Brown and Little Richard, uh, Chuck Berry. Oh, it was a very fertile time, wasn't it? There were so many different influences. The
0: Everly Brothers, I would say, influenced me a lot. The Beatles, of course. Um, you know, I, I just, any, anything that came along that uh, ha- had the, the merits, which there was just a lot of great, great music in my lifetime, I, I just grabbed hold of. And and I, there was a music going on, you know, all the time at, at our house and in my bedroom and in my living room everywhere, you know?
1: <laughs> I think we're very fortunate to live in the era that we've lived in because of these, so many different styles of music, but the music was really good. When the Beatles came along, they blew everybody's heads off. You know, it was just it was just such an exciting time, wasn't it?
0: I agree. Um, you know, it's funny, because I was talking to somebody else about this, and uh, we were saying how, uh, you know, in this day and age, a lot of times, uh, parents and grandparents are listening to the same music that, you know, their, their children and grandchildren are today. And they, so we sh- share music uh, uh, a lot. And when and growing up, uh, my parents listened to music and I was kind of like a little skeptical of, you know, what I was listening to. And now, you know, after, after growing older, my mother was a uh, a huge Nat King Cole fan. And, you know, now I, I go back, I listen to that music. I go, what a, amazing instrumentalist songwriter nat king cole was you know but i never would have back then you know as a kid i never would have pictured myself i mean i i knew it was good music but you know it's your parents music it's not something we listen yeah, to but yeah. things have changed you know these days uh i think parents and, and kids share a lot of their the music together which is kind of different from my generation but uh you're refreshing.
1: You know, you know what it is. It, it's uh, lovers of the Doobies' music and or that era. Uh, a parents driving their kids to school and playing your songs in the car, so the kids get turned on to your music. So you, you're getting a whole new, fresh batch of uh, fans. That's right. Pure indoctrination. <laughs> <laughs> now, when did you and Tom Johnson uh, hook up?
0: Ah, oh, gosh. Let's see. I met Tom in uh, '60. I think 1969, uh, we were both playing, uh, at a club with our, I had a little thing that I was doing, uh, a duo and Tom was playing with uh, some other people and, uh, they had a, a band and, um, we observed and listened to each other play and, uh, sort of hit it off and became friends and started, you know, really jamming together first. We just kind of Hung out together and we just sit and talk and and uh, smoke some kind of odd some herb I don't know what it was but
1: herbal herbal cigarettes (laughs) yes Yes.
0: (laughs) and uh, we became really good friends and then at some point he said you know hey we're doing a gig and at this club and uh, would you like to join us we could use another voice we know that you could lend a, a voice and we could use you know another guitar player so. I said sure, let's do it. And so that was it. We after that one gig we just kept going and here we are 50 how many years later
1: 53 years later. Turban Brothers <laughs> believe every life is unique. Every funeral should be too. Visit turbanbrothers.com.au. Hi, this is Patrick
0: Simmons of the Doobie Brothers, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's podcast.
1: I'm speaking with Patrick Simmons from the Doobie Brothers. Now, when you think of Doobie Brothers, you think of Listen to the Music, Long Train Running, Black Water, What a Fool Believes, China Grove, and uh, Take Me in Your Arms and Rock Me, Jesus is Just All Right. They are just all monster songs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've had uh, great fortune. We really have. You know, it's been, what can I say? You know, we've really... uh, really we were just writing songs. I don't think, you know, we didn't know what a hit, a hit record was. We just, uh, we lucky enough to write songs that connected with, uh, an audience. And, um, it's something you can't, uh, I don't think you can make, you can plan anything like that. It just happened. And, uh, I think, you know, once we connected, probably we had a fan base that kept coming back luckily, but, uh, you know, we just, you know, we've had, you know, and I can say this cause I didn't write most of those songs. Other people did. Um, but I, I you know, feel really fortunate to be in a band with great songwriters and singers and stylists that, uh, you know, yeah, that's why I'm still here. Cause I, i just love it. And, uh, Enjoy it every night. You know? Now,
1: Patrick, uh, being an old DJ, uh, the, the, the greatest intro to a song in my mind, in my career, is China Grove. Who wrote that? Who wrote that?
0: That is Tom. Tom,
1: Tom did. Okay. I Tom thought, did. I thought
0: it might have been you. He just he went out and bought an Echoplex. And Echoplex was a, a continuous... Um, a continuous teeth that just went round and round, and, and it went past uh, yeah. two sets of, of heads, and it would record on one, uh, reproduced as it went by the next recording head or, or transport, I guess. Y- you could mechanically move those heads apart from each other. So the further apart you moved them, the longer the echo would be, and the closer together they came, you could. You could control the length of time it took for the repeat. So it was a delay, basically. You'd gow, gow. or you could learn put them close together and it would go gow gal And um so that's how that came about. And he wrote that um playing around with that gal down, down, dow, bow, 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 and and then we went in to record it in the studio and we recorded it all. And the playback came back and and the producer said, don't worry, uh, you know, I'll I'll add the uh, delay in the mix, right? So don't use the Echoplex now. It makes too much noise anyway. So we'll add that repeat with a more sophisticated uh, recording device. And so we got it all done. He got it all mixed and I listened to it and I, I go, where's the delay on the guitar? And he goes, oh, I forgot all about it. <laughs> so, he went oh, no. back. so he went back and added that to the guitar,
1: but he had forgotten. Oh, sensational.
0: And, and that's really what, how I think Tom came up with that partially. I mean, he had that tune, but that Echoplex uh, was inspiring to him to come up with this kind of cool part. And uh, so anyway, it almost didn't make it to the final, but thank goodness at the last minute the producer I reminded him
1: <laughs> well well looking over looking over the uh the 15 studio albums you you do write songs patrick simmons what is your process for writing a songs is it the melody first or is it the uh, lyrics first
0: it it happens different ways sometimes you have a lyric uh, that you you know want, that you find some music uh that 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 comes through you somehow that that um you can marry to that lyric uh more often than not you come up with a musical idea a melody and then uh some lyric transpires out of that uh either from a, a an experience that you're having an experience that you had uh something you imagine that you'd like to write about that you know may not have in some way it, it, everything is is the experience of the person writing it but sometimes you uh, you embellish your experience through you know some something you've read so it might have some literary uh you know references or whatever uh, but it but in general uh, most everything comes from your own experience and those probably are the the songs that really i mean the songs that are more directly tied to your experience i think are probably the songs that are more meaningful, not only to you, but to your audience, because they, you know, they they have a more direct kind of a, a connection, I think. Uh, but so it, it, it's all different ways. I always, uh, no one, I, I think any artist will tell you the same thing. They don't really know where the songs come from. They just come out of your head. And, you know, there's other theories that it's all, you know, a consciousness that's floating out there that that you happen to be the conduit for, um, however it, 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 it comes to you. Um, it, it seems like it's coming from somewhere else that it's, you know, um, and, and I think we, we all just, um, it, it, we become inspired by the, the act of creating, you know, so that the, the more you come up with, the more ideas, the more, uh, something, you know, it's like oh, oh, unwrapping a Christmas present, you know, you know, the, the more you unwrap, the more you see, the more excited you get. And that's kind of the way it is with the song as well. It, it's that kind of feeling.
1: Do you think the ideas might flow when you're on your Harley or your Indian going for a ride? Because I know you had a bike shop.
0: Sometimes, it really, uh, driving in your car, um, I think probably more often, it was driving in the car because I think that's the way what people do so much. Uh, you might even hear something on the radio that just inspires you. Gosh, I'd like to write a song like that. You shut the radio off and you start uh, imagining ideas. Um, so, uh, you know, we certainly musicians borrow from one another. Um, you know, you might say steal from one another, (laughs) but you would like really more often than not, you're just borrowing ideas and, most often than not, you the, you you borrow an idea. By the time you get done with it, it's nothing like what you started with, or nothing like what you thought it was going to be. But uh, I certainly am always. I think all my life I've been inspired by other musicians and things I've heard. I'd uh, gee, I'd like to write a song like that, yeah. and, and that sets sets you on a course. Uh, and other times it's just out, out of nowhere, you know, like I said, you're just sitting around and something comes to you or you're playing on your guitar and you, you hit a, a couple of chords and, and you go that direction. But, uh, there's so many different ways to do it. But I think in, in, in the end you have to say that, uh, other you know, musics, you are the sum of, of all, all the, the music you've ever listened to, uh, as a musician, you know, you, You've been inspired by the other, others uh, before, your, before you wrote something.
1: Any song can be played at a funeral. What would you like? Visit tobinbrothers.com.au
0: Hi, this is Patrick Simmons of the Doobie Brothers, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's podcast.
1: I'm speaking with Patrick Simmons from the Doobie Brothers. Now, Patrick, tell me about your love of bikes, the bike shop that you owned, and where did you meet your wife? Gee, how did you know all that stuff? Um, that must be my bio. There too. it
0: is. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I've been uh, fooling around with motorcycles since I was very young. Um, probably in the mid '70s, I really um, th- through through a, a a friend of mine uh, who used to ride an old, gosh, it was a 1940 uh, Harley Knucklehead. EL model they call it. It's a 61 cubic inch
1: wow.
0: um, V-twin 1940. And he rode that bike everywhere. And I just I just couldn't believe what a beautiful old bike it was. And that's really kind of what I think set me on uh the course towards uh antique motorcycles in general. Okay. And then uh at some point I the, the same friend I said you know, if you could do anything you ever wanted to do, what would it be? And he said, well, I'd like to have a a, a little aftermarkets or or a, a, a parts place where people could get parts for their Harleys. And at that point, I was, I was, I had an, a British bike. I was riding a BSA at the time. Uh, and I said, why don't we try to do something like that? And, uh, you know, if you'll help me, um, I would love to to try and do something like that. So I started sending away for every catalog I could get my hands on every magazine. I read everything books. Uh, and then those were the days when, uh, Hemmings motor news was kind of the go to, I don't know if they have that, uh, over there in Australia, but it's a, it's a big thick phone book kind of magazine, which is still, um, out there in the marketplace. I think you could still buy the actual printed version. Mm-hmm. It's online, but, uh, Hemmings Motor News, it had every, every car you could possibly buy, every motorcycle back then. That's where we all found a lot of motorcycle parts and old bikes was through Hemmings Motor News. And so uh, I just started ordering things. There were a lot of uh, people that had uh, original parts. Um, and then there were aftermarket uh, companies that were making parts for Indians and Harleys. And I started socking all this, the, the parts that I would find into this old barn that I had in Santa Cruz until we were ready to open a shop. And we opened this shop called uh, Classic Motorcycles of Santa Cruz. And um, I went out and bought a couple of old Harleys, old uh, what they call JDs. They were, it's an uh, 20s uh version of the Harley twin started probably uh you know nineteen fourteen, fifteen is the style mm-hmm. uh engine and they made them till about nineteen twenty-nine. And uh I anyway I I got a hold of a few of them. Some guy had a bunch of them. I bought them for like, I don't know, a few hundred dollars. I bought these motorcycles mostly complete, put them on the showroom in our in our sh- little shop that we had just as conversation pieces you know so when people came in they'd see these old bikes there and um all all of a sudden uh all these antique people started coming around and looking at the bikes and and they saw what we were doing and i i learned there were others that were out there doing it as well and uh, i just got way turned on to the antique motorcycle uh community i joined the antique motorcycle club which had already been in existence for quite a while Um, and I'm still you know way into really older motorcycles these days although I I have had and still have uh, a modern Harley.
1: You and Billy Joel are the same because have you seen the one the 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 show with Brian Johnson and Billy Joel and his uh, bike shop up in New York? Right Billy's got uh, mostly
0: English and European bikes so that was kind of the direction he went. I think he has a few American bikes, but mostly you know b s a s triumphs um probably rough superiors. I don't know what all he's got there, but um aerials, all that stuff um but anyway uh so he kind of took a little bit of a different uh different track to it, but yes, we are the same we have we both have the same disease. he has the european version and I got the American.
1: <laughs> and you met your wife on one of the cannonball runs, right? Yeah,
0: I uh, I was working with Harley Davidson on their uh, biker's fight uh, against muscular dystrophy. I was the chairman of the the biker's fight and uh, I talked the band into going to uh, Sturgis, South Dakota to do a benefit, to benefit this muscular dystrophy and uh, the fight against muscular dystrophy. And I met my wife uh At a press conference that uh, we were doing there to promote the game that we were playing and uh, that was 1989. We've been together ever since. You never never know what you're going to find out there in the motorcycle world.
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> now, let's get on a little bit because we're running out of time. I, I, I know we've got to wrap this up pretty pretty quickly. Um, 83, you took a break from the band and you did some solo work, a couple of solo albums, Arcade and So Wrong. You also recorded a Huey Lewis song. Now, uh, tell me about the uh, Sonoma Music Festival with Michael McDonald, Chicago, and uh, Ringo Starr. That's that's an exciting lineup. As a matter of fact, we uh, did a TV show with Ringo a
0: couple of months ago and uh, I'll just everybody already knows he's like probably one of the nicest people in the world you know he's uh, just a just a great guy and normal like the well I don't know what normal is but he's like the rest of us anyway a music lover and uh, and just a, a great person you know
1: it's great what you're doing uh, like the classic west concert you know Dodger Stadium uh, you know you're with the Eagles and Steely Dan and, and the Doobie Brothers I mean it's a great lineup You know, you'd buy a ticket straight away, wouldn't you?
0: That was phenomenal. Well, we'd go anywhere to play with those people, Um, which we have through the years. It's funny, because Steely Dan was one of the very first bands we ever toured with, um, that we did a lot of shows with them. In the old days, the two of us, we did lots of shows, which is how I I got to be good friends with Jeff Baxter. Um, But uh, I got to be friends with all those guys, uh, Donald fagan and walter becker um just you know can't say enough good about those guys they're great people and i don't the music speaks for itself uh we did chicago you mentioned chicago we worked with those guys for the years a lot as well and uh you know proud to be friends with those guys
1: not only uh, are you in the uh, rock and roll hall of fame but uh this year you're nominated for induction into the songwriters hall of fame as well congratulations on that nomination Oh, thank you very much. <clears throat> yeah, we lost out. We're not, oh, we didn't dang. make it
0: this year, but
1: uh, <laughs> maybe next year. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, you know, it's funny because uh, in these Hall of Fames, uh, they, usually you'd get a nomination and it takes a long time. We were like totally fortunate to uh, get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with our first uh, nomination, which uh, probably made a lot of people that have been waiting mad pissed yeah. off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um but then uh, we we got our comeuppance uh this time because we were nominated for the songwriters hall of fame and we're still waiting on that one
1: so well totally warranted and good luck and i hope you get it now let's get to the 50th anniversary world tour and uh liberty your latest album uh, co-written by and produced by john shanks uh cannonball um that's that's got to be about you sitting on the bike going for a ride hasn't it it's a great song
0: <laughs> it really is you know i had uh mentioned to john you know that this event that i that i've been doing it's called the motorcycle cannonball it goes uh coast to coast uh in a, in uh the us and um so i anyway i mentioned it to john and he said yo we should write a song about that so so that was it anyway
1: cannonball Yeah, and uh, also Better Days. I mean, uh, I'm starting to get an idea of your songwriting that now you're you're kind of happy in your own skin.
0: Yeah, you know, John said, uh, as we were writing the song, before we really wrote the song, he says, I have this phrase in my head, uh, those were the better days. And I go, you know, John, uh, these are the better days. And so that's what the song became, that these these are the better days.
1: Yeah, wherever we go, positive, all about life. They're just great songs on this Liberty album. And it's, uh, it's sold well all around the world. And, of course, Australia's uh, turning onto it now. And with your tour coming down here, touring uh, from the 1st of April uh, right up to uh, the first Blues Fest in Melbourne. So we're looking forward to that. You can get your tickets at Ticketmaster uh, or from the Doobie Brothers uh, website. But uh, everybody's uh, highly anticipating Blues Fest when you're down here. Oh, it's a wonderful
0: event. We've uh, done it a couple times and, uh, yeah, I can't, can't say enough good about it. It's just always uh, great bands and it's run really well and good food, good swag. Uh, <laughs> you know, every everything's really nice there. Uh, it's, I'd recommend it to anybody that, uh, if you haven't been, it's, it's a wonderful event.
1: Now, Patrick Simmons, uh, just a couple of questions before we go. What have you learnt over your musical journey? What have I learned
0: uh, from my musical journey? Um, Get plenty of rest (laughs) because it's going to be a busy day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. What's the best show that you've ever done? Byron Bay at the Blues Fest. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, that's uh, all encompassing, isn't it? The, The Blues Fest there. It's wonderful. Now, what have you learned and what would you pass on to a young, hopeful musician? Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> it's really all
0: about you know what what you give to your craft will come back to you. Um, that, that's really it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. I think uh, um, whatever you love to do, do it. Do what you love, and uh, it it will it it will come back to you.
1: Brilliant. You are so good. I saw you uh, at the Greek Theatre with uh, Don Felder. It was an electric show. The Doobie Brothers put on the best show ever, and I just love the band, and I love you too, Patrick Simmons. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, Gavin. Thank you for having me. We'll look forward to catching up with you when you're in town, Patrick. All the very best to you, my friend. Thank you, Gavin. Nice to talk to you. This podcast brought to you thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year.